Hello and welcome to Bread and Rosaries, the leftist Christian podcast that is worried about religious conservatives being pushed out of public life. Although mainly we're worried that it's not happening quick enough. I'm Ben Molyneux Hetherington and I am joined by Adam Spears. I am not joined by Luca von Badass. Unfortunately, someone spilt some monster energy drink on the server farm that houses their AI. So they are not joining us this week, but I do have an Adam. Uh, our main topic this week is to talk about the ongoing SNP leadership election, or as I like to call it, Tim Farron 2, Tim Farriner. Leads us <laughs> to a very, very important question. Adam, what is your favourite Lib Dem embarrassing moment? Um, I mean, I did. It, it's kind of a, a bit toxic to say now uh, because of, um, you know, what's happened to Jared O'Mara. But I really did yes. like it when Nick Clegg lost his seat. Oh, that was so good. Um, I, I, I agree that obviously with everything that's happened to Jared O'Mara in some ways it's bad. But also the fact that they got beaten by that guy, that the, <laughs> like, you know, like that only makes it funnier in yeah, some yeah. ways. I don't know if the toxicity actually comes from Labour rather than Lib Dem, though, so I'm not sure if that counts. Yeah, well, we can still enjoy Nick Clegg losing a seat no matter what, right? Absolutely. Although he did then go and work for Facebook, so arguably he managed to find the one thing more evil than supporting a Tory government. So, <laughs> <laughs> Go on, what's yours? I think, on balance, it's the swin zone, where uh, at the Lib Dem conference, they were so confident that people were going to absolutely love Joe Swinson, that they were like, Joe Swinson's going to be the next Prime Minister, and they set up the swin zone, where you could go and get your photo taken <laughs> with Joe Swinson. Um, sorry, I realised, uh, for people who aren't like super into politics, uh, Joe Swinson used to be the leader of the Liberal Democrats. You probably don't remember that at this point. It was actually not that long ago, but uh, it was such a nothing thing that people have mostly forgotten. She, she was awful. I don't know how they ever thought she was going to be so popular. They they like genuinely thought she was going to be next Prime Minister. I remember like just feeling like, you know, when you see them getting so carried away with it and you're just sort of like, oh, bless, you know? And the thing is, like, I'm not being funny, but like Nick Clegg, like a monster from the depths of hell, but but a genuinely talented politician. Effective communicator. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Even, even Tim Farron had his moments of every man charm, right? Like, Yeah, 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 100%. Uh, Swinson was mostly a vacuum. It's like she had no personality. Anyway, that was that's probably my favourite uh, Lib Dem moment was the setting up of the Swin Zone, which precisely no one went to, even at the Lib Dem conference, full of the only people who would potentially be interested in that. Yeah, we're not actually here to talk about the uh, the Lib Dems. We're here to talk about the SNP. Uh, Same we difference. Will... Well, uh, <laughs> just Lib Dems uh, who really love Scotland, right? <laughs> right. Okay. So here's the thing, right? Is that, that okay? You've at least lived in Scotland for a bit. Like I am very English, very Southern English. I sound very Southern English. Like I can just about find Scotland on a map, right? So wow. I, <laughs> I, I just of, want to uh, say in in advance, I just want to apologise to any Scottish listeners. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to try and not be uh, ignorant English people about the whole Scottish thing, but um, I don't think we've got much hope of that, I'm afraid. As you say, I have lived there. I do have some insight, um, but mostly my insight is oh, politics is all a bit weird up there. I mean, I, you know, that is rich. That is rich coming yeah, from, yeah. you know, it's like someone who's lived in England like most of their life. But yeah, I don't know. There's something about Scottish nationalism that I find kind of odd even if i would probably vote in favor of leaving myself yeah like I, I still find like the way that that kind of works very very odd yeah my kind of only only view on it is that it's probably a decision that the people of scotland should be allowed to make for themselves and like beyond that i'm just like i don't know yeah. enough about this um so i guess we're setting our stall out early that we are not doing an episode on scottish nationalism here um we yeah that's that, it's gotta it's gotta come into path. it though right like it um, has got to come into it to some to some degree like we're gonna have to mention it at least yeah it's, it's gonna come up in passing for sure but uh yeah it's a dangerous path to go down for two english people uh what we are going to talk a little bit about is the leadership election and in particular uh kate forbes who has uh made waves shall we say uh in the current ongoing leadership election so we will get to that 
But we start, I used to say we start as always, but we kind of, I don't know, I don't know if we always start with it anymore. Sometimes we do say it in the week first. But we start, for this week at least, with what else is on my mind, Grapes? What else is on my mind, Grapes? Recently, Shemima Begum, who was someone who went off to Syria, she basically lured away when she was 15 years old to go and meet up with ISIS and marry an ISIS fighter. Uh, and she married an ISIS fighter who was eight years her senior um, when she was 15 years old. And she has been stripped of her citizenship uh, by the government. That was some years ago that this happened now. She's now 23. And this was recently taken to court. And the court decided that basically, whilst the argument that she had essentially been trafficked um, had some weight to it, had some merit to it, it was a decision that was for the politicians that they decided it was uh i don't know if it's too much to say that they decided it was within the law to do that to strip her of her citizenship um but they decided it wasn't a decision for the courts it was one for the politicians um which means that basically it was upheld her her citizenship remains revoked i think what's really interesting about this apart from the fact that she was clearly groomed and trafficked is that her citizenship was stripped on the basis that she has the right to citizenship of bangladesh um bangladesh dispute this and say that she doesn't have that uh, right she was born in the uk and was a british citizen from birth where this really becomes a problem though is that um, so under international law, it's illegal to make someone stateless, which she now is. Um, Bangladesh say she doesn't have the right to citizenship. But further than that, they say that if she did come to Bangladesh, she would face the death penalty. Right. And under British law, it's illegal to make someone stateless if they would otherwise face the death penalty. Um, so whichever way you slice it, this is you know this is i don't know how the courts have found that this is okay it is breaking the law Mm. and so basically shamima begum remains in a um, refugee camp um in uh i think in in kurdish uh held syria it's really important as well to sort of emphasize again that she was 15 Mm. when she left right she she was basically forced to marry an isis fighter and i say forced even if she gave consent actually that doesn't count she was a child well, she, she right? can't consent right you can't like, you can't consent yeah. at the age of 15 right um but she also conceived three children all of whom died right as a direct mm. result of her citizenship being stripped and her not having access to um decent health care and so yeah i mean whichever way you look at it whether you say well you know she should come back and face prosecution here or whether you say she should come back and um be de-radicalized or whatever whatever it is you uh say the government clearly have blood on their hands here i cannot get my head around how the decision was made as it was in the recent court case because so clearly she's been made stateless and that is yeah just illegal um but i think more importantly there's something about even the idea of stripping someone of their citizenship and you know obviously there's a part of us that would want to say well actually citizenship shouldn't be a thing you should have the same rights no matter what your relationship to the country you're in is yeah but at the same time at the moment citizenship is something that that accrues you rights and it is very worrying that there is the possibility of stripping people of their citizenship um, and therefore essentially taking away their rights in this country yeah but then i think actually on a more political level what we're really talking about here is essentially politicians trying to point score by whipping up islamophobia um you know, why is she not allowed back in the country while well, she was stripped of her citizenship? Would she have been stripped of her citizenship had she not been front-page news repeatedly? I, I think probably not. Would she have been stripped of her citizenship if she was a white teenager groomed by a far-right uh, group and then, you know, went and joined 
far, far right militant organization somewhere. Well, no, let's be honest. She, she probably wouldn't have done, you know, this is, it's just about Islamophobia. Um, and as you say, she was groomed. We, we have to be treating her as a victim. And I know some people are saying, well, we should bring her back to the country and have her face justice. And I, I kind of get what people are saying. But to be honest with you, I just think that's so, I just think it's wrong headed. Like, we should be treating her as someone who has been abused, has been taken into deeply traumatic situations, both by, you know, ISIS, but also by this government. And we should be treating her with the utmost sympathy and care because ultimately this is someone who has been the victim of a fairly horrific series of crimes yeah and actually this is what justice would look like if she was brought back to face justice justice would be saying to her well actually maybe we need to do some work with you um i mean seeing more recent interviews with her it's, it's interesting um how she appears to have have changed i don't know how much of that is just that she's more kind of media savvy now she's a little bit older but her answers are certainly much much different um but yeah that justice would actually be treating her as someone who had been trafficked had been essentially kidnapped and and on that she was smuggled into uh, isis territory by a canadian double agent right the canadian security services smuggled her in right so that's a an ally of the uk and the uk themselves um i mean as there's i'm just reading an article here um someone called huda mukbil um who apparently worked with mi5 um said that the verdict defied belief um, and they quoted they even recognized she was a child and was trafficked into syria um, there was a breach of duty on behalf of the state the uk state to make sure she doesn't leave the country right and that just seems obvious right that's just a fact um she is the uk's problem no matter no matter who we're talking about in fact you know if we're talking about someone who had chosen to go there um, as an adult had made an informed decision she's still the uk's problem she was born and raised here and her radicalization is a problem that has stemmed from british foreign policy and i, I just think whichever way you look at it she, she's got to come back yeah I, I couldn't agree more there's one more thing i want to say on this as well uh, because I was explaining all of this some time ago to my partner. My partner is entitled to Jamaican citizenship. She hasn't claimed it, but she is. And what this decision actually does, it actually creates a two-tier citizenship system. And in fact, you know, Shemima Begum's obviously not the only one who's been stripped of her citizenship. Apparently, at least 75 people have successfully overturned Home Office orders to strip them of their British citizenship last year. So clearly, this is a, a much wider problem. But the reason they gave for being able to strip her of her citizenship is that she's entitled to Bangladeshi citizenship, which we've already established. Either she isn't or um, she would face a death penalty if she did go there. I was explaining to my partner, though, that because she is entitled to citizenship of another country, she is a second class citizen here. And I don't think a lot of people that that's clicked for them. And it hadn't I don't think it had for my partner at the time. And I remember explaining this to her and sort of seeing the penny drop. And what this does, how this functions is it effectively targets largely people of color. Right. Yeah. So this is just a straight up racist policy. Yeah. And you know i remember seeing seeing the look on my girlfriend's face but that is what has happened here um that is what we have we have a two-tier mm -hmm. citizenship um and i think that is very very dangerous and only plays into the hands of the far right yeah no 100 percent. it's um yeah really worrying situation speaking of the far right i'd like to check in on our old friend calvin robinson i can't remember what episode we talked about him the reverend uh, calvin robinson well in all the reporting he's being described as deacon calvin robinson so i don't know if that's well, like de a deacon so you're still a reverend that there's a threefold ministry so you've got deacon presbyter which is priest and um, bishop but yeah, you're, as a deacon, you're still the Reverend Calvin Robinson or whatever. I, I assume, though, that uh, a lot of people have been reporting it as Deacon Calvin Robinson because it would annoy him not to be referred to as Reverend, which I, I think support. I think so. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so over the weekend, there was a drag queen story time planned at Honor Oak Pub in Lewisham in London. 
this is obviously something that's attracted a lot of attention in the US, a lot of far-right opposition that is, you know, anti-queer, anti-trans, comes out in these anti-drag. The narrative of calling drag performers groomers when they perform for children, um, which obviously, you know, harkens to a long history of accusing queer people of being groomers and all that sort of stuff. It seems to... Well, there seems to have been an attempt here to export this to the UK. I always felt that it was unlikely to be exported to the UK for the simple fact that accusing people doing drag for children of being groomers uh, might cause issues for the existence of pantomimes, which is, of course, a great British tradition that must be defended. <laughs> so um, I don't even like pantomimes, but I'm willing to uh, take up defence of yeah. them. But I also think, you know, actually, if you could absolutely imagine a confected culture war, moral panic over, oh, the wokes are trying to prevent pantomime dames happening because it's disrespectful to trans people, right? Like, so (laughs) it it was always felt to me unlikely that the particular anti-drag stuff that you see in the US was going to export as easily. That's not to say it's going to be impossible, but not as easily as we see some other kind of far-right anti-queer stuff transferring over here. Anyway, Turning Point UK, who are the uh, UK-based branch of the Turning Point organisation in the US, that's quite a big, well-funded, by dodgy money, organisation in the US and the UK. Far-right organisation, it's important to to emphasise. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's really struggled to uh, get its claws into the UK, even with, again, some dodgy money being funneled into it. They're so funny. Yeah. Like, so the turning point US thing, they're, like, quite slick. But, like, yeah. the only donuts they've found to actually be part of Turning Point UK... You get them in front of a camera and it's just really funny because yeah. they're, they're just really, it's not even that they're awkward. They just clearly don't know what they're talking about and just want to label everything as evil and woke and bad. And it just makes me laugh every time I see this. It. Just cringe. What it is, is it's cringe. Turning point. They're not sending us their best. Um, no. <laughs> so they tried to organize a protest against this uh, drag queen story time event that was happening over the weekend they managed to muster an impressive 30 people uh good job uh they were vastly outnumbered by the counter protest uh which is good to see um always happy to see people come out in solidarity with the queer community and particularly to see the far right failing to muster any sort of threat um obviously there are other places in the country where they have mounted far more effective shows of force uh, but in this case uh, it's fun to enjoy their failure Calvin Robinson comes into this because he was the build main speaker of the event, another example of them not sending their best. Presumably he was the only person dumb enough to think this was something worth attending, and he comes out to give his keynote speech, at which point the crowd, in one of my favourite protest chants of recent memory, starts all chanting, You're not a real vicar. You're not a real vicar. <laughs> it's glorious which leaving aside ontological questions of what a real vicar may or may not be is quite a funny thing to chant to someone who let's be honest probably has quite a chip on their shoulder about not being ordained in the actual church of england so uh, yeah just really enjoyed that um i hope that calvin robinson continues to get heckled with you're not a real vicar wherever he goes and if someone can manage to get that happening on his actual gb news show then uh, that will make my day speaking of you ready for this transfer weird hyper conservative offshoots of the main church of a country shall we talk about <laughs> okay. Kate forbes uh, are we not going to do saint of the week Oh no! Oh, that's a, that's a shame. That was I was really <laughs> I was really proud of that. Yeah, we, you know, um, maybe we, maybe we should have started Saint of the yeah, Week this time. No, if I'd have, yeah. but but that would have required some like advanced prep on my behalf. So <laughs> uh, the only reason we have actually done any advanced prep for this episode is because we had to abandon a recording that happened four hours ago because my laptop went do lally, uh, which means that the notes that I was writing as we were getting ready to record. Uh, meant that there are now advanced prepared notes for this recording session, which is very exciting. Wow. Yeah. Let us do Saint of the Week. Cue the music. Oh, we haven't got Lou to do that for us. Yeah, I know. But 
It is a great jingle. Someone did message me the other day to say they keep uh, having the Saint of the Week jingle pop into their head, which is <laughs> really? great. Because uh, it was... Lou just improvised it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, th- that's the great thing, isn't it? Like, clearly we need to just come up with more, like, weird jingles. Um, it's like when you find a really annoying advert, like the Go Compare advert or something, and it just won't get out of your head and you want to hurt that guy, but it works. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll get Lou to improvise more jingles as we go then. Absolutely. Although, clearly, the position of this podcast, I would argue, is that advertising shit's in your head. Jesus weeps for Gaza. He sees the pain and suffering of the 1.9 million people who have been forced to leave their homes without access to nutritious food, clean water, decent shelter. He hears the cries of the 25,000 orphaned children. He is with all who mourn the 250 people killed every single day. Christians for Palestine UK is a group of Christians who are calling for an immediate ceasefire in Palestine. We don't pretend to have all the answers, but are united in our prayers, hope and action for equality, peace and justice for all the peoples of the Holy Land. Together, we are organising a Christian presence at the National Marches for Palestine and Local Days of Action, where we've been joined by siblings from Sabil Kairos, Pax Christi and a whole range of Christian churches. We urge you to join us to act in solidarity with the people of Palestine and call for a permanent ceasefire and just peace. The Very Reverend Canon Richard Sewell, Dean of St George's College in Jerusalem, says, I warmly welcome the newly formed group, Christians for Palestine UK. Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank need to see the solidarity of Christians in the UK and they will be encouraged to see your commitment to stand up for them in their time of terrible suffering. To find details of local actions or to join the Christian bloc at a national march, follow Christians for Palestine UK on Instagram and Facebook or email christiansforpalestineuk at gmail.com. Join us as we call for a ceasefire now. Yeah, that's fair. Anyway. Adam, would you like to tell us about Saint of the Week? Saint of the Week. Our Saint of the Week this week, he's not an official saint, but he was ordained uh, as a priest in the Roman Catholic Church. He left the priesthood in the 80s. His name is Jean-Bertrand Aristide, and he is the former president of Haiti. The reason we're doing this is because if we had a 29th of February this year, it would be, I think, 19 years since he was ousted in a right-wing military coup that was backed by the US. No. <laughs> Who saw no, that the coming? the US wouldn't do that. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm afraid so. I'm afraid so. And they were quite duplicitous about it because they kind of got him on a, a, a plane and flew him, I think it was to like the Central African Republic or something, where he remained in exile for some years. But they kind of lied to him about that, about what was actually going on. Um, and yeah, anyway, there's a, a, a lo- whole load of weird stuff that, that went on. That was actually the second time he was cooed, because <laughs> he had three separate stints as president of Haiti. He was elected in 1990, and then he was cooed a few years later. And then a few months after that, the US actually reinstated him. <laughs> imagine if the US government was competent when they were doing all this bullshit. You know, I imagine know, how I much know. worse the world would be if there was a base level of competence <laughs> when they were cooing shit. Like... Yeah, well, what they did get him to do. So the thing about Aristide is that he was a liberation theologian. So he fell out with the Catholic Church. And I mean, there are some wonderful quotes. I'll I'll get to them in a minute. But he fell out with the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church decided uh, in the 20th century that they don't like... Oh, hang on a sec. Uh, Do you want me to do... I just did the Saki thing about... uh... 
um, the Americans cooing someone. Do you want me to do a sarky thing about the Catholics being shitty to liberation priests? <laughs> I, can, I can do that as well if we want to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just the same. It's just the same old story, isn't it? So obviously, I know, I know, I know his name, and kind of know some of the story. I, I, I had no idea that he was a. Um, a, a former Catholic priest. Yeah, uh, well, I, I almost certainly have heard it before, but I'd obviously scrubbed that information from my mind. Did he? Did he remain a a, a practicing Christian, a Catholic until, like, in his in his like once he left the church? Or as far as I can tell, yeah. I mean, I think he still writes, and I mean, he's got he's got this wonderful quote. That's what I was sort of getting to. So he he talks a lot about love, and I love it when he talks about love. But uh, one of my favourite quotes from him is, the Bible commands us to love our enemies. I love the Pope very much. (laughs) That's so good. Oh, that's such a sick burn. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But presumably he's not, not, because obviously some of these kind of more liberation-oriented priests that fell out with the Catholic Church have been, to some extent, rehabilitated uh, under Pope Francis, but he hasn't been... Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. Presumably because it's so politically volatile to do so. Yeah, I I don't know if that's going to happen. But the guy is, you know, he's an interesting guy. I think where where there are some difficulties for us um, is that after he was... I told you that he was couped twice and then he was reinstated after the second coup um, by the US. And they did that on the basis that he would implement free market reforms, right? So, like, the standard kind of thing of... um, Uh, yeah that you can read about in multiple books at this point about how um the u.s and other western slash global north powers will basically force countries in the global south to adopt a particular economic policy in which yeah they privatize everything and so he did privatize some stuff which basically was a reversal of his own his own policies because you know being a liberation theologian becoming president he had um, implemented a lot of policies that were very popular in haiti and had done a lot of good but the u.s don't like that so they only put him back in on the basis that he would reverse some of that you know he wasn't he was nowhere near as bad as many it's just that he he kind of had to reverse some of his stuff yeah, anyway, as I say, he was cooed again in 2004, uh, and so on February the 29th, if we had a February the 29th, it would be 19 years since that happened. There's ample evidence to show that the US were behind this. i tell you where it all kind of started to go wrong for him, was when he, because uh, I don't know how much you know about the history of Haiti, but Haiti was the first nation, basically, to rise up and kick out slavers right yeah, so yeah. haiti began basically out of the ruins of a, of a slave state they had mm. a revolution an uprising and they kicked out the slavers so the french controlled uh, yeah. the colony at that point and uh yeah and they were the first ones to do that but of course france and the other colonial powers really made them pay for that and they only finished mm. paying off the reparations that they had to pay to france Fucking i knew uh, that and yeah it still shocks yeah. me every time right i like- know i know so they had to pay off reparations because uh, the poor slavers weren't making their money anymore mm. and they only finished paying it off a few years ago. Aristide, basically, stuff really started to go wrong for him when he started talking about not only not paying France yeah. that, but actually France paying them back, you know, not only for all those reparations, but for what they did to yeah. to the uh, ancestors of the people in Haiti now uh, because they don't like that. They don't like it when you challenge... Well, they don't like it when you challenge their colonial record or their colonial legacy. They really don't like it when you challenge their wallet. Anyway, he's still alive. Um, I think he has actually returned to Haiti now. But Haiti is a country that continues to have serious problems, especially at the moment. You know, this stuff never ends. They have regular, fairly regular earthquakes in, in Haiti. And of course, what we know about what we you know cool natural disasters is that actually the vast majority of the damage done in a natural disaster is not really as a result of the forces mm. of nature it's a result of poverty right it's a result of things like building codes not being up to scratch or not having enough health care or not having access to water that kind of thing makes it infinitely worse and haiti's 
been the victim of that multiple times. There was a thing that came out a few years ago that, if I remember rightly, the Red Cross had gone there after a, an earthquake and basically very little of the money that was raised for Haiti actually ended up in Haiti and that there were mm. all sorts of um, abuse issues and that kind of thing from Red Cross aid workers in Haiti. So it really is a mess. And a lot of Haiti, especially in Port-au-Prince, the capital, is controlled by really brutal gangs now. Um, and all mm. of this, it's very important to point out, has been orchestrated right yeah um, haiti um as we often hear is the poorest country in the western hemisphere and all of that has been orchestrated by powers in the global north like france like the us like britain who do not like the fact that haiti began as a state of um, enslaved people who freed themselves yeah. and and continue at certain times to challenge what has come from that um it's important to say as well though that they you know it was run by the Duvalier family for a long time, and that was a really, really brutal dictatorship, essentially. Mm. So um, it's funny how often those things are supported or or even put right. in place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> people like Aristide are, um, yeah, cooed by the US. So yeah, that's, that's the saint of the week this week. Or not a saint, uh, except in the kind of, you know, we're all saints kind of sense um a flawed character but a, mm. a really interesting character nonetheless maybe i'll finish with a quote of his um i'll finish yeah. with two two quotes the first one i really like he says we have not reached the consensus that to eat is a basic human right this is an ethical crisis this is a crisis of faith and the other quote mm. i really love where he talks about love again he says love is the air that i breathe like oxygen when I lack it, I feel atrophied, asphyxiated. When I have it, I feel I am growing. And so this growth is linked to others, or to a collective other. If I realise that I do not love you, my faith diminishes, and I breathe less and less of the oxygen of life. When I feel linked to you, in communion with you, there is a current of love that passes between us, and the intensity can multiply. And the more this love grows the more the faith becomes luminous, the more I feel linked to the collective other. I'm speaking of God. That's cool. I like that a lot. Can you imagine if politicians that claim to be Christians in the UK or the US or wherever it is spoke like that? Yeah. You know? Can you imagine that? Yeah. Yeah. Instead, we end up with Theresa May talking about how her dad was a vicar, you know, <laughs> using it to justify really awful policies like rounding mm. up migrants and so on. So, yeah. Shall we move on and go north of the border? Go on in. So, for those of you who haven't noticed, Nicola Sturgeon has announced her intention to resign, I think is, is what it is technically, isn't it? She will continue to be the First Minister of Scotland and the leader of the SNP for the duration of a leadership contest but then she will uh, resign and a new leader will take over that is both the leader of the SNP and as I mentioned the first minister of Scotland which is the uh, equivalent of the prime minister for the Scottish parliament um, is that correct Adam yeah that's that's right um, Nicola Sturgeon as the um, leader of the SNP is uh yeah currently the first minister of scotland she has resigned but she's still still in office um but we have some wonderful candidates um ready to replace oh, her oh yes so uh there was a few different people that announced um and one of them was a woman by the name kate forbes um the first i saw of her was you know kind of in the know politicos saying things like Kate Forbes is a really good candidate. She's got a lot going for her. It'll be interesting to see if her religious affiliation comes up. <laughs> um, and it was all very um, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You know, if you know what we're talking about, you know what we're talking about. But if not, you'd be like, oh, I wonder what her religious affiliation is. Um, it, it, it came up. It, it, it came up. It was mentioned. <laughs> it's uh, just a she bit. Yeah. Stop <laughs> mentioning it. She seems to have some yeah. sort of issue. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so she is a member of the Free Church of Scotland. 
Uh, as it's otherwise known, the Wee Freeze. Apparently, <laughs> people in the Free Church of Scotland hate being referred to as the Wee Freeze. And we shall, we shall therefore, therefore be, yeah, <laughs> be exclusively referred to them as the Wee Freeze for the duration of the podcast. Uh, they are essentially a splinter group, right, from the Church of Scotland. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're a, an evangelical wing that that split off. Um, they're very conservative, basically. Um, so you can imagine all the stuff that they believe, what they're into, and Kate Forbes basically follows that line. But also enjoyably, Kate Forbes doesn't know when to shut up. Because it first popped up, there was a few questions about her religious faith or whatever, and she kind of almost unprompted said that she would have voted against equal marriage. She wasn't an uh, MSP, member of the Scottish Parliament, at the time the legislation went forward. But uh, had she been, or should it come up again, she says she will. She would vote against equal marriage. Uh, she then followed that up with a pretty clear anti-abortion stance. And in both those cases, it's really important to note that conservative religious political figures... Uh, a lot of the time, with the exception of Ireland, which is obviously a very different case, but most of the time are pretty smart at caging their answers a little bit. Uh, Farron tried <laughs> to thread this needle a little bit, but not that yeah. successfully. But others do a better job of kind of saying, this is what I personally believe, but I don't want to legislate on that basis. Um, she she just went all guns blazing, like no, no, I believe this stuff, and I would absolutely take your rights away given half a chance. Yeah, but but she, the thing is, the crazy thing is, she says one thing one minute and then another thing the next. So she was like, yeah, yeah, I don't think you should legislate on um, on that basis, and I would uphold all people's rights and whatever. Yeah, because someone was kicking her shins under the table yeah, at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> so like she said, she said, oh, I'm I wouldn't look to reverse the legislation on equal marriage however i would have voted against it at the time and it's like you're going against your own principles at that point yeah, which, which yeah, way yeah. is it you can't have it both ways right yeah don't, don't worry guys i'm actually really unprincipled it's not a great line to be taking <laughs> like, yeah she even went and said that she thought that having children outside of marriage is wrong she said some anti-trans stuff hang on a minute even, hang on a minute uh, hang on a minute how can how can you say that having children outside of marriage is wrong if you're anti-abortion? That's a good question. Let me ask you another question, Adam. Go on in. The man she's married to. Yeah. Is she his first wife? <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with no. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> no. Well, that's fascinating because... I'd have thought if you were a conservative religious person, that uh, uh, second marriages would possibly be a no-no. So uh, it's interesting what applies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, marriage is something that uh, applies, and, and actually people like Kate Forbes obviously would like to only apply to straight yes. couples, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, if it affects straight couples, we can, we, we, we can have a little bit of leeway. We can let something slide. Yeah. But and, and to be clear, I don't give a shit about second marriages, obviously, like divorce or that, you know, like I have no problem whatsoever with her doing it. But I think it's uh, illustrative of the trite but worth repeating point that these people aren't actually... They don't have serious principles. They don't have serious theological objections to this stuff. It, it's all post-hoc rationalizations of their existing prejudices. And yeah. when it comes to their own lives, they're prepared to set aside all that stuff because actually it's not that important. So um, I don't like Kate Forbes. I don't know if that's coming across at all. Uh, no, not... I, you, I thought I thought that you were, you were a biggest fan, to be honest, mate. I thought you... <laughs> I well, thought you I were do... going to join the SNP just to vote for her. <laughs> I do. I do like to see my uh, uh, brothers and sisters and siblings in Christ uh, on the national stage. You know, it was great when we had Tim Farron. It's great that we have her um, and, and a bunch of other. There must be some good Christians in Parliament, but I'm really struggling to. I mean, I've wanted to get Ross Greer on on the pod for yeah. a while. Um, I, I wanted cool. to get him on for this episode actually, um, but yeah, yeah, he's a christian socialist for the scottish greens mm. um so you know there's there's a few they're but, all right they're there. But, yeah 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 uh, but but yeah. as well you know actually what, what rightfully i think for the most part what you get is with the good ones is that they don't 
they're not shy about talking their faith or anything, but because they're not trying to justify their prejudice by resorting to faith, they don't tend to be chatting about their religious convictions anywhere near as much as these people do. And I don't mm-hmm. think that's about a lack of genuine religious sentiment. What I think that's actually about is that religion is a really useful way of defending yourself against charges of prejudice because it allows you to go, well, maybe you're being prejudiced back to people. And I think that you're seeing that not just from Forbes herself, but all sorts of other people. You know, I saw um, Tim Farron desperately trying to remind us all that he exists and was once relevant vaguely uh, talking about this. He had a wonderful quote about, oh, you know, people wouldn't be upset if... uh, someone was uh, a Marxist and was taking their uh, interpretation of Das Kapital into a political environment, but they got upset when it's the Bible. And I was like, let me assure you, people get upset when you take your interpretation of Das Kapital into a political environment. (laughs) Why do politicians, like, who aren't on the left... Why do they always call it Das Kapital? Why do they always refer to it in the German? Because it's horrible foreign German German nonsense. Just call it Capital. Like that's his, yeah. that's his name, you know. No, hundred um, percent. But I also saw Sonny Hundel, who is a liberal commentator who is uh, famous for delivering some absolutely honkingly bad takes on Twitter. Uh, he basically said that he was worried, as I referenced in the intro, about uh, religious conservatives being forced out of public life. Uh, not only am I not worried personally about religious conservatives being forced out of public life, I would happily remove the word religious from that sentence and continue <laughs> to enforce their removal. Wow. So gulags sponsored by bread and rosaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's... yeah. What we're seeing is the way that religion functions, and particularly Christian faith, as a defence about this sort of thing. Uh, and it is going to be interesting to unpick, I think, a little bit of why we believe that that doesn't actually stack up particularly well as a defence. I think where I'd start with this is by talking a little bit more about this thing she does where she kind of flip-flops on her own principles. Um, so she said that while she wouldn't seek to reverse equal marriage legislation now she would have voted against it if she'd been able to at the time. Um, And of course, as we've said, she's also awful on trans issues, speaking out against the gender recognition bill and, you know, fairly consistently making some pretty transphobic comments in the process. Um, Obviously, she's against abortion, same-sex marriage, etc., etc. I think what I would say is, clearly, we've been used to the SNP being represented by someone like Nicola Sturgeon, who... I have my own issues with. Um, Here's a a fun little um, side note. Um, I'm actually banned from the Scottish Parliament, um, something I uh, may have mentioned before. I have never Uh, heard this before. Have you not? (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. So I'm banned from the Scottish Parliament, um, basically because I went in um, with some people and, um, you know, we we asked some questions um, during First Minister's questions. Was this Extinction Rebellion stuff? Yeah, back in the day when Extinction Rebellion, you know, there was still some 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 hope in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I like to emphasize the fact that I was part of a um, an Extinction Rebellion group that was um, not just full of melted liberals. Yeah, XR Edinburgh were really good, as I as I recall. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is which is great, given that you know Edinburgh is the seat of power in Scotland. Right? Mm. So yeah, we we went in and we we dropped some banners, asked some questions. She was angry. You know, she was so, you know, the glare she gave us. I mean, we got <laughs> we got more support from certain Tory MSPs than we did from the SNP, um, but especially Nicola Sturgeon. And, of course, Ross Greer, um, you know, he backed us to the hilt, Good man. as always. Um, I think with Sturgeon, I think the thing with her is that she is a centre-left slash maybe centre-right, but but a, a liberal, shall we say, with yeah, yeah, with, yeah, with all yeah. the good and bad that associated with that. So, yes, we would expect yeah. her to be... In fact, she was very good on trans rights, and there are people who I think wrongly are trying to attribute her fight over gender recognition reform uh, to her quitting. Uh, I don't think that's true, but, you know, she was strong on trans issues. She was never going to go anti-abortion, anti-gay marriage... There were obviously yeah. other weaknesses that we would associate with a liberal, but we are we have grown used to a uh, a liberal politician being the face of the SNP. Right, exactly, and and I think that's where 
it's almost like there's a silver lining to all of this Kate Forbes nonsense because what the SNP are is a single issue party, right? And people have kind of forgotten that. The SNP are a broad coalition of um, politicians and, and members who have all coalesced around the issue of Scottish independence. And I think we can see that a little bit more clearly now that we've got someone like Kate Forbes who is quite clearly a conservative, right? Um, if she yeah. wasn't in for Scottish nationalism and independence and so on, her natural home, I think it's safe to say, would be the Conservative Party or, or you know, um, the uh, new new Labour Party, I suppose. But um... I, I actually think, you know, potentially, maybe these days are the Tory Party, but potentially you could even be talking further right than that, you know. Sure, like... Trans rights are up for debate a little bit in the mainstream, but I think by and large, gay marriage, even if queer life is under attack, gay marriage is not under attack. Um, abortion rights are generally considered to be reasonably secure for the most part. So, yeah, I, I think actually she's arguably... She'd, she'd, I think she'd be on the right of the Tory party, certainly on social issues. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if there are... You know, for example, I don't know what she's like on um, immigration or, or stuff like that, but um, certainly on on those things that are kind of issues that that the religious right, certainly the Christian right, like to talk about. You know, she just she, she's all in for that. So yeah, she's she is a conservative. She is right wing, um, and and I think that that silver lining is that people can perhaps now see that the SNP are not just well the, the party of nicola sturgeon there's something a little bit different to that something a little more diverse in the worst possible way <laughs> I th and i think you know moving on from that slightly you know that's how you end up with someone like kate forbes mm. who in my opinion professes things that have very little to do with a christian faith mm -hmm. and a lot more to do with using christianity as a cover for attempting to legislate on the basis of her own bigotry yeah i think that's absolutely right and, and you know as we've said before with i'm very reluctant to dismiss someone who claims to be Christian and say, oh, they're, they're not a real Christian or anything like that. I think that's a dangerous path. But I think you see an instrumentalization of her Christianity as a political tool, as a, as a way of defending against criticism. And I think we've seen a lot of people trying to leap to her defense to say, oh, are you not allowed to participate anymore? And, it, and it's, you know, in some ways it just comes back to the same free speech nonsense that we see again and again in the culture war stuff, right? Like, what do you think is happening here? No one's stopping her participating. Her views are being plastered over newspapers or, and on news channels and on websites and over f social media, and people are assessing her views, assessing her, and coming to political decisions about whether or not they would support her. Like, th that's participation. You know, she's not being silenced. She's not being forced out of public life. She is being allowed to express her views publicly and as a christian it leaves an extremely unpleasant taste in my mouth to see her use the christian faith in such a way that it is deployed to make out like it is something that is causing her to be oppressed and it is absolutely not and actually i think it's really disrespectful for people in the past and people today who are oppressed for their christian faith you know, what is oppressive about being allowed to state your views publicly and for people to form opinions on you and express those opinions? That's not oppression. That's political freedom. What you're asking for is not political freedom. What you're asking for is for people to not criticise you. You're asking for people to just have to say, well, okay, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. What is politics if not the critique of people's ideas and an engagement and a debate over what ideas are the best ideas? And just because those ideas are ideas you claim to have drawn from your faith doesn't make them immune from any form of critique. In fact, if anything, given that we are not a country that is a majority of any religious persuasion, it should mean that we critique your ideas further 
because you are trying to impose some sort of minority rule in that situation. I, I find it very difficult to take these things you know where people talk about oh i'm being oppressed i'm being persecuted for my religious belief in this country i find it very hard to take that seriously uh, anymore because it's just as you've just demonstrated it's quite clearly utter utter nonsense you know i have seen some people saying this kind of thing and and sort of framing it with a concern about an apparently growing secularism in scotland in particular when I lived in Scotland, I have to say, I never felt any of that. You know, I always felt that I could talk about my faith wherever I was because I think people realised that A, my faith was sincerely held and B, my faith didn't motivate me to be an asshole. Yeah. Right. And that's the issue here. If your faith is motivating you to be an asshole, people are going to get the hump about that. Right. And I don't know what's difficult to understand about that fact. I remember when I was starting to put my toe into uh, politically radical circles, uh, I was very concerned about being a religious person in those in those spaces, because when I was in more conservative Christian spaces, the idea had been, you know, in the air, in the water that actually particularly leftist political spaces but you know political spaces more broadly weren't welcoming were in fact anti-religious and what i found was that no one had any issue whatsoever i, I don't think i've ever come across in a leftist political space a kind of douchebag internet reddit atheist asshole right like i'm sure they they exist they're out there but you know there's all sorts of different assholes out there but that's because you know when it came to matters of religion i'd say things like i believe god exists and that we should try and live our lives in a way that please him and that includes working towards the freedom and liberation of all people regardless of their religious affiliation rather than i believe in god and i think all gay people burn in hell forever the the problem is the, the yeah, content yeah, yeah. of what you're saying, not the religious... But You can hold a plethora of religious beliefs without people criticising you for that. The issue is when those beliefs are dangerous, when those beliefs oppress others. And so, yeah, I don't have any time, yeah. as you say, for any sort of narrative around the oppression of religious conservatives you know or oh, we're forcing religion out of public life no we're not we're forcing dickheads out of public life and not at a quick enough rate in my opinion <laughs> well i think i think one of the things i would say um sort of remembering something that anthony reddy said when he was uh on on the show a while back i think that possibly in years gone by prior to our generation perhaps there were more of those kinds mm. of people on the left who would be very sort of anti any form of christianity you know and clearly that has been a theme in left-wing circles at some point but i think what's happened now in our country we're a much more diverse and pluralistic country now mm. right and people recognize that people from all over the world from all kinds of cultures and backgrounds have left-wing views and opinions and experiences and so are you going to on the left um for example kick someone out who turns up to your left-wing group wearing a hijab yeah. that would be inconceivable now and actually the same thing applies to christianity i've never experienced any hostility in those kinds of spaces to my christianity for the exact reasons that that you've given and to be clear that doesn't mean that everyone's gone yes we agree with you you know I, i'm sure you've had the same thing people will want to have conversations about religion and the divine yeah, and and all that stuff whether that's people who are from other religions or you know people who are atheist agnostic or you know whatever they might identify as but those are can be productive and interesting conversations uh, particularly if they are um you know held in a more social environment i think most of the time those conversations are not particularly valuable in kind of leftist organizing but you know after the meeting you could potentially have a, a cup of tea with someone and, and discuss this stuff and that's quite a you know and you have conversations right there's there's space for debate and conversation and exchange of ideas um, but i just yeah i haven't experienced any sort of anti-religious sentiment um obviously i've experienced plenty of people with anti-religious conservative sentiment but they're not really like marking them out for being religious but for being conservative 
you know you take the calvin robinson thing we spoke about earlier you know obviously it's quite funny to have people chant you're not a real vicar but i don't think any of the protesters there were genuinely upset that he had decided to become ordained outside of the auspices of the Church of England, right? This was not a sectarian chant about the uh, primacy of the Church of England in the uh, religious life of the UK. It was simply taking the piss out of someone who is a dangerous far-right figure. And if Galvin Robinson abandoned his faith tomorrow, declared that... uh, God is dead and the only way is atheism, but continued in every other way to espouse the views he espouses. I mean, he would end up losing a lot of his work or whatever because anything that sets him apart is he gets to wear a dog collar espousing his dog shit views. But we would continue to oppose him in exactly the same way, and we'd probably come up with a new funny chant about him that you know doesn't talk about him being a weird vicar right like it's not about his religious affiliation really it's about the conservative politics and yes it's you can't necessarily divide those two things neatly in terms of his views as a person but the the opposition stems from the conservatism not from the religiousness religiosity that's probably the right word isn't it religiosity i think yes yeah. yeah. no religiousness <laughs> none of those fancy pants you know those are, this uh, religiousness <laughs> is a good working class word right <laughs> so i i think you've sort of hinted at something really interesting here the only people i ever get any kind of nastiness from in terms of my religious faith are basically the kind of liberals who you know worship dawkins right new atheist liberals who have just eaten everything dawkins and sam harris right Which, at, at this point in time is genuinely impressive given what has happened to dawkins in the last 10 years like there was a time right, that right, was really right. intellectually but, but, justified but, but now <laughs> but the, but the really interesting thing about that from my point of view is you know what what has happened to dawkins um over the last 10 years or so and and people like him is that they've started off as these kind of liberal types and they've gradually drifted further and further to the right to the point where they're defending, you know, all kinds of things like uh, eugenics and whatever. Um, And I think that's a a really good example of, again, how liberalism just has a tendency to do that. Um, And it's very telling to me that the only people who ever give me any grief are those kinds of people. I mean, Christopher Hitchens is the most... striking example of that right you know he started i mean i don't know he was yeah i'm no expert in hitchens i, I suspect he wasn't as committed a leftist as the narrative often makes out but there was a point in time where he'd been considered on the left and then he obviously is quite an outspoken yeah. member of the new atheist movement and and he slides with remarkable rapidity particularly in the wake of the war on terror into being you know, a neoconservative and and on the rightward edge a lot of the time of that neoconservative movement. And obviously that's not to say that being an atheist is going to turn you into a neoconservative, right? But I think it is telling that much as there are certain types of religion that lead to bad forms of politics, there are certain types of atheism that lead to bad forms of politics. And the answer isn't to fight against atheism any more than it's to fight against bad forms uh sorry any more than it's to fight against religion in general the answer is to fight against the bad forms of atheism and the bad forms of religion that lead to bad politics yeah i mean i think one of the interesting things about christopher hitchens is that um on certain issues like the iraq war or whatever um he was to the right of his brother peter hitchens who in every other way is just the most awful conservative i mean i think i think you know what peter hitchens has over many conservatives is an ability to deviate from their sort of line uh, so in that respect he's sort of perhaps a slightly more interesting thinker um, than many conservatives but yeah point being peter hitchens didn't back the iraq war christopher hitchens did I want to uh, leave the final words to Mari Black, who mm. is an SNP MP. She is, we talked about the uh, wide diversity of opinions within the SNP party. Uh, Mari Black is very much on the left of the SNP. Um, she uh, is the deputy leader at the minute of the SNP and is uh, generally pr- pretty good, I would say. She uh comes from that kind of socialist tradition of the likes of Tony Benn, who she's spoken about, 
um, but obviously with a particular focus on Scottish nationalism. Um, she is someone who was brought up Catholic, um, kind of doesn't really identify as that now, but is, uh, you know, still has some relationship to her religion. She, I've seen her speak about, you know, reading her Bible and that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I don't want to say any more than she said about it, but not someone who has completely uh abandoned the religion she was brought up with whatever her particular relationship to it is now uh she is also a lesbian who is married to a woman so um yeah she she put a little tweet thread up um and although reading tweets is kind of a crappy way to do podcasting i thought there was a lot of good stuff in there so i'm just going to read it out um a lot of people have asked me my views of the leadership contest truthfully i have been incredibly hurt so far her originating with the statements Kate Forbes has made and since stood by. I, like most people in Scotland, could not care less about someone's religion. If your faith says you cannot drink alcohol, then don't. If your religion says you cannot enter same-sex marriage, then don't. If your religion does not allow for abortion, then do not have one. However, the moment you use your religion to justify voting against me having access to any of the above, then it is you who is showing intolerance. What you practice in your own time and how you subscribe to live your life is your business. But as a lawmaker, if you choose to allow your religion to try and deny me my basic human rights, then you make it my business. The idea that Kate is being persecuted or that there is a witch hunt or unionist media plot against her is utterly fanciful at best and a dangerous conspiracy theory at worst. Holding candidates to account and scrutinising what they have said themselves, on camera, voluntarily, as a pitch to be the next First Minister of Scotland, is not abuse. Had a candidate said they do not believe in racially mixed marriages, we would rightly be horrified. So why is my marriage still considered fair game? How I, and others, are expected to have faith in a leader who unashamedly and publicly believes the love between my wife and I should not be legally recognised is beyond me. Where there have since been shallow calls for, and promises of tolerance made, I find myself thinking of what Hamza has said and understood for years. I don't want to be tolerated, I want to be equal. Kate hasn't just jeopardised a lot of activists and members, she has alienated swathes of the population before she even started. We need, and should expect, better judgement, communication and leadership skills if we are ever to convince each other of independence. And I thought that was quite a powerful message um, that she sent out there. I think it hits on a lot of the points we said. I think that is, for the most part, hard to argue with. Yeah, I I, uh, I read it through myself as well, and um, yeah, it was it was very poignant um, and just true. Another one of the candidates for the SNP is Hamza Youssef, um, who I have to say I don't really know much about, but he is a practicing Muslim. He is also someone who has been on the record as supporting equal marriage um, and queer rights generally. Um, there was some stuff about him missing the final vote for equal marriage in the Scottish Parliament. Uh, he's now said he kind of regrets that, and looking at it, he voted in favour of the first and second readings and then was not in the Parliament for the third reading. Um, so he didn't abstain, he just simply w wasn't in attendance. O otherwise, his record is pretty, pretty good. And I think, I mean, maybe it was a mistake, maybe maybe it wasn't not being there. But uh, I don't think there's any real question in terms of his voting record that he has been solidly in favour of what you consider kind of liberal human rights. Um Obviously, that's not necessarily enough for us. We certainly would look to go beyond the basic liberal human rights consensus, but it's certainly a, a starting point, something that needs to be in place um, before we can go beyond it. He, as a practicing Muslim, has faced some questioning, and I think some of it is motivated by a desire to demonstrate that it's not just Christians we ask about this stuff. But when you've got someone who has been clear, is not going around making these claims and statements, but you know has continued to publicly support it and wants to talk about other issues, asking them about it simply because they are, are a practicing Muslim, 
doesn't really look like fairness to me. It, it looks like Islamophobia, the assumption that, well, of course he'll be against it, or at least the assumption that there's a good chance he'll be against it because of, he's a Muslim. Kate Forbes was not being questioned about this stuff because she's professed a Christian faith. She's been questioned about this stuff because she's declared in public her extremely conservative social beliefs. Hamza Youssef has declared in public his progressive social beliefs. So people have, I think, understandably but deeply wrongheadedly wanted to demonstrate that they're being, you know, treating people equally by questioning him over it. But it does end in a very difficult place where actually you're not treating them equally because you're questioning her because of her public statements and you're questioning him because of his professed faith. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially given, you know, he's a, he's a reincarnation of Sturgeon, right? Like he's the, he's the Sturgeon continuity candidate um, quite clearly. And, and I think it sort of shows a, um, a... For people to question him in that way shows that they don't really know what they're talking about when it comes to um, Scottish politics. Um, you know, I, there are there are things we could criticise him for, uh, but this kind of thing is, yeah, is, is not one of them. I think you've put us on really dodgy ground there, Adam, by criticising someone for not knowing what they're talking about with Scottish politics when we're two <laughs> idiot Englishmen that have just talked for an hour about Scottish politics. But... Hopefully, we haven't put our foot in our mouths too much. I, I think so, yeah. Uh, it's probably also worth saying that um, there's uh, another candidate as well called Ash Regan, who's also a transphobe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fuck you, Ash Regan. We should, we should end it now. Um, if you are Scottish and we have made some horrible factual or uh, misunderstanding errors, uh, then uh, please be nice, but do right and let us know. Um yeah, thank you very much, as always, Adam. Um, where in the world can people find you? Uh, you can find me most places at commie, X-I-A-N. Brilliant. You can find the podcast in all the usual podcast feedy places. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash bread and rosaries. We are on Twitter at bread underscore rosaries, and you can email us breadandrosaries at gmail.com. Rate and review us on your podcast feed. If you would like to contribute some pennies towards the hosting fees for this podcast, then there is a Patreon link in the description. Uh, please do get in touch as I say if you have any feedback anything you want to say we love hearing from people and with that we will leave you to enjoy the rest of your day thank you very much everyone thank you Adam goodbye get it up get it up I got my heart sound blasting through my speakers down I got a whole town feeling it vibration now got a hot girl stepping through the beat right now hey do it all do it all I just wanna cut it up I got many options But I choose to ball On myself And I love it When I vibe it hard hey. I just wanna be so stylish I just wanna be unlandish Never wanna be like all this Might be on crazy fashion Better not be in movies That'll be like all these actors Better go lead your life You don't got too much time You're looking at me Wanna be like hype I don't really get it Where they never sound the fight Only gonna focus on myself On my sound Every single time I drop a line That's it all the good I'm alive, then it's gonna be enough. I'm good with that. If that's the only good reason, I'm alive, then it's gonna be enough. I'm good with that. Get it up, get it up. I got my heart yeah. sound blasting through my speakers now. Let me see if I, can. I got a whole town feeling the vibration now. Got a hot girl stepping to the beat right now. Hey. Transphobes, fuck off. That's the end of the episode. Bye, everyone. <laughs>